0: Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance, hurt, is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl.
1: Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to discuss something that has been said to be the biggest cause of emotional problems Shame The word shame means to hide or to cover up We all feel shame from time to time Shame makes our problems seem bigger and makes us seem smaller and alone with what we feel Shame makes us want to bury our heads in the sand and hope that either me or the problem or both will disappear. It's the one it's one thing to have and experience painful emotions that are of course inevitable in life. But shame's shame makes it worse. Shame makes you want to get away from the problem, the emotion or the whole situation. Shame makes you feel lonesome, weak and inadequate. Today you're going to get a chance to talk to one of the few people who have studied shame and done it from an ACT perspective. This is Dr. Jason Loma. Jason is a clinical psychologist and the co-founder and the director of the Portland Psychotherapy, a research and training center in Portland, Oregon. Jason provides training in ACT for audiences around the world and was recently elected to the president of the Association for Contextual Behavior Science, this organization that is mostly tied to ACT. In addition to being a practicing clinician and ACT trainer, Jason conducts research on shame, stigma, and self-compassion. You can read more about Jason by looking at his website, by clicking on his name on this week's uh, act, Taking Her to Hope. Remember that act has three parts. Opening up, which with shame could be opening up to whatever the physical sensations and accompanying thoughts are that are present, along with the feeling we call shame. Becoming aware, which in this case could be Seeing sensations as just sensations and thoughts, as just words with no actual meaning. And thirdly, actively engaging in what matters to you, together with the feelings and sensations that we call shame. I want to welcome you, Jason. Hello. Hello, welcome.
2: (laughs) Thanks. I'm glad to be here.
1: Jason you are a long ways from me there in Portland Oregon. How is the weather there?
2: Oh it's it's uh, really beautiful. You know normally is raining this time of year but we've had a uh, unusually sunny uh, spring here so it's wonderful.
1: Oh well, we still have about a meter of snow left. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's getting lighter here in Sweden. Jason um I usually ask uh, our guests be, because our radio listeners like to get to know the, you know, the human being beyond beyond the researcher and the clinician. So, shame is a very difficult issue that no one really likes to talk about. What what got you interested in it?
2: Uh, well, actually, that's probably part of what interested me. That no one likes to talk about it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, I think I've always been someone who was interested in topics that other people weren't interested in. I'm I'm kind of a fan of the underdog. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: shame in particular was a topic that uh, has been pretty neglected, at least in terms of people trying to develop new interventions that can help people with shame. Mm -hmm. And so that really interested me to be able to work in an area where very few people have found scientifically based uh, interventions that can help people out who are highly self critical or uh, tend to be really prone to shame.
3: Mm-hmm. So, that's on, on
2: the professional side. That's been um, a big part of, I think, why I've been interested in it. And then, of course, there's the personal side,
3: mm-hmm. too,
2: where I've been uh, someone who throughout my life has been highly self critical. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as far back as I can remember, I've been really self critical and pretty prone to shame in my own life.
1: Jason, um, is that something that's normal for individuals? I mean, with uh, as children that we were self critical, where does that come from?
2: Well, I think we're all self critical to a certain extent. I think mm-hmm. it's a natural part of being a human being and being able to think and have language that we criticize it. We look for problems in our environment and in the people around us. And we turn that same ability back on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we criticize ourselves. And shame is what happens when we criticize ourselves as a whole person when we're felt when we feel like we're lacking as a, as a whole person that somehow we're defective or somehow we're bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so you would say this is pretty common,
2: Shame everyone, I won't, maybe people who are sociopaths might not
3: experience shame,
2: <laughs> but that's pretty rare, and pretty much everybody else experiences shame, and I think it's more about how frequent it is, and for some people, it's, it's a, it's very often, it's, it's a lot of the day, most days, and, and those are the folks that I tend to work with.
1: Mm-hmm. So, how would you say, you, you'd say that, um, so it's one thing to have problems and it's mm-hmm. another thing to be ashamed of your problems. Is that like a just a second level?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that's a nice way to put it. So yeah, of course, we all have problems. We have difficulties in li- life. We have challenges and uh, we're not always up to every challenge. Um, but the thing that, that sh- shame adds on top of that is it compounds it. You can think of situation as being like um, you know when you're when you're trying to um, do something sometimes you fail sometimes you fall down and and you don't do as well as you'd like and shame is sort of like you've fallen down and then you you know you come along and you kind of kick yourself while you're down mm-hmm. and so it, it it doesn't make it easier to face those challenges it just adds to it and and Uh, makes you know just compounds the problem
1: so jason we have talked on the program about self-compassions quite a bit would that be the opposite to self being self-compassionate that's interesting question
2: i i think it's opposite in some ways in the sense that self-compassion the way i look at it is about being a, a good friend to yourself, having a relationship with yourself such that you're 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 a good friend to yourself and you're kind and supportive of yourself instead of judgmental and harsh. And I think it is a sort of antidote to shame.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that when you say you're you kick yourself when you're down. It sounds like the opposite of being a friend. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think it is. I don't know. That's a that's a really good question. I haven't really thought about that directly, but it's definitely. It definitely uh, could be the opposite, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, uh, Steve Hayes was on the, the radio program a few weeks ago, and he talked about self-stigma as the opposite of self-compassion.
2: Yeah, I think self-stigma and, and shame are closely linked. Shame is a more basic mm-hmm. process in that it's a, a really basic emotion,
3: mm-hmm.
2: whereas stigma is like shame that's tied to some part of your identity and mm-hmm. somehow a mem- membership of a group, um, such as, you know, if you have an addiction, you might feel stigma related to uh, your drug use, or if you have HIV, you might feel stigma, self stigma related to having had HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, so stigma is a little, a little bit narrower than, than shame is, which is, um, could be in relation to any, any aspect of yourself.
1: Okay, well, while you're on that subject, Jason, can you def- define what shame is?
2: Sure, yeah, I think it would probably be good to first define a little bit what emotion is, because mm-hmm. an emotion is this kind of slippery concept. We all kind of know what a feeling is at one level, but at another level, it can be a little bit hard to define. Mm-hmm. And the way that I think about emotion is that it's a way of talking about how we become organized to respond to situations in a particular way.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: every emotion, including shame, has a, a piece in which we, kind of, uh, we construe or see the situation in a particular way.
3: Mm-hmm. It comes
2: with some sort of bodily sensations and oftentimes some expressions or bodily movements.
3: Mm-hmm. And it
2: also comes with a, an action tendency, which is a, a tendency to act or feel inclined to respond in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um so in terms so in terms of shame specifically shame is usually set off by a a sense or a a perception that you're bad in some way Mm -hmm. Um, either in your own eyes so you're judging yourself as bad or someone else is seeing you as bad
3: Mm -hmm.
2: um and and while it, it can sometimes be hard to see the what someone is, is feeling ashamed, because we tend to want to hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, the most common indicators of shame are things like a, a collapsed body posture, so the person looks like they're kind of collapsing in on themselves.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: also a tendency to look away or look down. Mm-hmm. Means, you, know, you, you feel like you don't want to make eye contact or be seen um, when you're feeling ashamed. So if you're with somebody else, there's a tendency to look away.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the last part is the action tendency which is the, there's this tendency with shame to want to conceal or, or to hide that part of yourself that seems to be bad. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this tendency to withdraw or hide um, tends to lead to a, pro- a lot of problematic re- results for people. They tend to want, with, disengage from life and disengage from relationships uh, when, when, when they're feeling ashamed.
1: Okay, so could that explain, Jason, why... Um, social phobia is the number one phobia?
2: That's interesting. I I do think that shame is highly tied to social social phobia. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been a ton of research there yet, but there, there are some theories and a little bit of research suggesting that the shame is really central to social phobia and that social phobia does relate to a sense of I'm bad. Mm -hmm. And that if people would see that they would reject me. And you can imagine if you're walking around feeling like you're bad a lot of the time that you would be hesitant to to engage in social situations with people because it's like you're always on that verge of being discovered.
1: Right. As I was thinking like both it's maybe the common denominator is um, when I'm in the limelight. So if I'm either making a public speech, I'm being looked at or in an intimate relationship with maybe I have I'm you know maybe I have to get naked that I'm that I will be I will be examined. And if I if I'm if I know if I think I'm bad and trying to cover it up it makes it harder when I'm in the limelight.
2: No, exactly. Yep. That's exactly how I would see it too. Yep.
1: Hmm. So Jason, uh, you as an act trainer how does how does act approach this thing a phenomena shame
2: um, well so i've mostly worked with shame in therapy mm-hmm. uh, with clients, and i I tend to like to work with people who are experiencing um chronic shame and one of the trickiest pieces of of the of this is that people typically don't see shame as an emotion, mm-hmm. and they don't and they don't see it as the thoughts that these kind of judgments, like I'm having the thought that I'm bad or I'm having the thought that I'm damaged. The way it usually starts off is the person just thinks they're damaged.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Person just thinks that they're broken or they just think they're bad. And so usually the first step is just helping the person to see that this is something that they're doing to themselves, that this is something that their mind does to them, and to see that that kindness and compassion is even an option.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, for most people, they haven't even thought of kindness and compassion as something that they might want to cultivate towards themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's where it usually starts off. Would you that, like me to talk more about it, or?
1: Yeah, so so it starts off by you mean that um, they they come in and and shame would be like the default set, setting, and they don't. Uh, it, go ahead.
2: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And so, and, so what you would do with therapeutically would be helping to see this. This is a phenomena that can be influenced.
2: Exactly. I think people don't even think about the idea of what kind of relationship do I want to have with myself?
1: Mm.
2: They, they they oftentimes are thinking about the kinds of relationships they want to have with others in their life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and maybe that's part of why we tend to be more empathic and kinder to others
3: mm-hmm.
2: than we are to ourselves.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so part of the early part of therapy is typically helping them to see, you know, are you treating yourself as kindly as you would treat somebody else?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think most people find that they don't treat themselves with as much kindness and compassion as they treat others.
1: Mm-hmm. So what, ha- what happens when they realize how critical they have been to themselves?
2: Well, <laughs> some people, that's that is a big step. And some people when they see that they're not being kind to themselves, they, just from that, that's enough to really make a big difference because they realize, Oh, okay. I, I want to be kind to myself. Like I, I think that it would work for me to be as kind to myself as I am to others. And just from that, there's enough of a change that they'll start to respond to themselves in a gentler way. And they'll start to maybe catch those shame, the shaming kind of thoughts uh, more easily and not get so caught up in them, not get so entangled in them. Um, but then you have people who are, who are very, very self-critical. Maybe they became self-critical very early in their life. Perhaps they had a really abusive childhood, for example. And typically folks who are in that situation, um, you need to, you need to go further because, they oftentimes will have a lot of things that they feel ashamed about and will be keeping them to themselves. They'll be, be secrets. And you'll have to do a lot of work to even start to bring out those thoughts and those self-judgments into the session.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, oftentimes um, that's a big part of the process is just going through that process of being able to say out loud and kind, of, kind of bring into the light. Mm-hmm the things that the person's ashamed of. Oftentimes there'll be things that the person's never even said to anyone in their whole life.
1: How do you do that, Jason? How do you get people to say things that they're ashamed of saying?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, yeah, that's a, it's, that's uh, not always that easy. I think, I mean, I think the core of it is through a really empathic kind of understanding relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the most basic thing is that the person feels like you are trustworthy Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and that you're not going to judge them. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I think that's the most basic thing, but also, you know, we are, we're typically by this point doing a lot of exercises and having various conversations around uh, trying to take a more compassionate perspective with themselves. So they, they usually get a sense that I'm advocating for a kinder perspective than they have with themselves.
1: Mhm. Do, do you ever feel like that the, the the client is ashamed of something that you also are ashamed of and that it's and that you might be avoiding talking to them because you feel shameful?
2: That I feel shameful with it, with myself yeah, or yeah, that, that I judge that, them.
1: Well, yeah, for example, either, but the client says something that um that awakens shame in you. And because you maybe oh. don't want to get into that, you don't talk to them about it.
2: Um, I imagine that happens sometimes without my awareness.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that, I mean, I tend to be quite self-critical, so um, for me, part of the process is that I, I'm often being self-critical, my mind is being critical of me throughout the sessions.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I actually might work that into the session when I become self-critical in relation to something that happened. I might actually work that into the session and and use that as a model for them on how to be kind to themselves.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you like me to give an example yeah,
1: of that? Yeah, yeah, that's it. that'd be fun to hear an example.
2: Okay. So I might be having the thought, um, I'm not being very helpful or I'm I'm doing a bad job right now. And or I'm a bad therapist. I might be thinking something like that. In the session with somebody
3: mm-hmm.
2: and if I've been in therapy with them for a little while I probably wouldn't do this if I had just met them but if we've been together and, and they know me a little bit and I was having that thought I might I might share that I might say something like you know as you say that today I'm noticing that I'm having the thought I'm being a bad therapist right now mm-hmm. like my mm-hmm. mind's not being very kind to me right now it's not being it's not being a very good friend right now mm-hmm. and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what does Jason need right now? Like in this moment, what would be important for him?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm just going to kind of, if it's okay, I might pause here in the session for a moment and and let me see if I can kind of identify what would be a way to be kind to myself here.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I might pause for a little bit and then kind of restart the session.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's good.
2: <laughs> so what I'm trying to do basically is model to them a, may, a way to be with their own self-criticism because self-criticism is inevitable mm-hmm. and it's not about not ever being self-critical because we we all do it and it's really about when you do it not getting so caught up in it that it shuts you down and prevents you from moving towards what's important to you and you know in that moment with the with the client what's important to me is being with that client and um, helping them with what's happening in their life and so i want to give them a model of how they might take that step back pause and then move forward again
1: yeah you know jason um uh you know that we're we've just written a book about um, intimate relationships and and acts it's coming out soon and the, one of the things we talk about is the for example the internet dating and Uh, when you have some stereotype pictures of both yourself and the person you're you're going to meet that you picked out. And I wonder sometimes if, um, you know, you might meet someone and you might get a prejudice about them. You know, they look like somebody who's done something to me that I don't like earlier, and and then feel shameful that you even have this prejudice, uh, you know, about this person. And then, so how... If, and and that that might lead to that you avoid the person altogether instead of taking the risk of um, giving this person a chance.
2: No, absolutely, yeah. That's that's really interesting. I'd never thought about that in the relation in relation to dating.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But that that totally makes sense. And to me, that that makes me think of some of the work we've done around stigma.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think part of what happens with people who are having judgmental thoughts towards others, you know, we we don't just judge ourselves. So this part about shame is is about judging ourselves, but we also judge others, and we and we also all have prejudice.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: we all have stigma, and we all have judgments towards various social groups around us, whether that's people with different health conditions or stereotypes about ethnicities or race, racial prejudice. We, we all have those kinds of judgmental thoughts. And part of what can make it difficult to to build relationships, to be compassionate, and to do, you know, what's the right thing to do um, is that we sometimes can get caught up in our own self-judgment about having judgmental thoughts.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mean and like we might have a, a prejudice, to some, and then we're ashamed because we don't want to be that type of person that has that prejudice.
2: Exactly, and so then we might avoid people who pre- provoke that various, very prejudice. So if we have a prejudice against an ethnic group that's common in our country, you know, and and we feel shameful about having that thought, not even, maybe we don't even do anything but we just have the thought and we feel shame about that then we you could imagine that you might start avoiding people who are from that ethnicity and unfortunately even without build, you know doing it on purpose that that adds to um that adds to the bias that yes. that happens with that community and i think that that's that that's definitely something that can happen
1: it really backfires on you then
2: right exactly yeah that's unfortunately that's a way it is with shame a lot is that it backfires a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Jason, do you have an example of an, an exercise that uh, you could do that you do with clients? Sure.
2: Yeah. How, how would you like to have me do it?
1: Well, whatever. I mean, just maybe show us an exercise like how would you work?
2: Sure. Um So, well, sometimes some of them are a lot easier to do in person because I do a lot of having people move around and perhaps do writing and, say, move into different chairs or walk around the room. But maybe I'll do one that is more something you can do uh, with some visualization. Mm -hmm. And the idea is based on... What I've noticed is that people tend to be more self, more compassionate to others than they are to themselves. And so if you can set up a situation wherein the person is kind of looking at themselves or something similar to themselves from the out, from an outside perspective, Mm -hmm. sometimes that helps them to contact more compassion more kindness. So maybe we could, I could just walk you briefly through an exercise that is of that sort. Yeah. Maybe what, keep it to two or three minutes, Mm -hmm, something like that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, well, so it's usually a good idea to, if you're going to do a visualization, to kind of get in a comfortable seated position and let your body come to stillness. Perhaps close your eyes. Most people find it's easier to visualize with their eyes closed. You might just begin with taking a few breaths, just following that movement of your breath in your body, focusing on each in-breath and each out-breath. And then for the purposes of the exercise, I need you to get in mind a situation that you where you tend to get critical of yourself or where you tend to feel ashamed. It might be a time where you feel like you're failing. It might be a time where you feel like you're doing something wrong. might be a time where you're just feeling particularly bad about yourself for some reason. Just see if you can get in your mind's eye a time, a common time in your life where you feel down on yourself. And then I'd like you to imagine that You encounter a small child, maybe a child who's seven or eight years old, of the same gender as you, who's dealing with this same problem. And if it's not a problem that would be appropriate for a child, you might imagine that the child's parents are dealing with that problem. I'd just like you to imagine that you are sitting across from that child. That you know what that child feels like. This child who's probably more innocent than you, more vulnerable. This child that has It's gonna have less capability or less tools to respond to the situation. I'd like you just to see in your heart what it feels like to sit across from this child who's suffering. And I'd like you to imagine that this child is about to go away on a long trip, maybe several years, and you're never going to see her again. And you only have this one moment to communicate something to her. I'd like you to think about what would you want to say or do? Would you want to say something encouraging, kind, compassionate? Would you want to just listen to her fears? Would you want to give her a hug? And I'll be quiet for a moment. I'd just like you to imagine doing that or saying that. And then when you're ready, you can let go of that imagery and we can restart the interview here.
1: Mm. How nice, Jason. Thank you so much for doing that with us. So what is it you're doing there?
2: Yeah, so, well, a big part of that was about uh, perspective taking. And like I said at the beginning, I it's oftentimes easier to be compassionate and kind to others than to ourselves. And so we bring we bring in this imaginary child as sort of metaphor of the more vulnerable parts of ourselves. And through encountering that this this difficulty in the context of, of a small child, it allows us to contact a, a more kind and and accepting view Mm -hmm. at least that's the hope Mm -hmm. not everybody responds that way initially Mm -hmm. so typically we'll debrief it and kind of see how they respond Mm -hmm. um but the focus is mainly on acceptance and this perspective taking kind of element of the model
1: Mm -hmm. jason we're getting towards the end of the program and i wonder do you just could you talk just a minute or two of um anyone you have worked with and how it's gone? Sure. Yeah.
2: I've worked with quite a few people. Um, the, I, I prepared a little bit of a case before, that, um, a guy that I, will call Joe and it's pretty common that clients will come into therapy with me with multiple stigmatized identities and feel lots of shame related to those. And, this guy came to me after he had gotten out of jail,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so you can imagine that there's a there's a stigma around being an ex felon. Mm-hmm. He'd also um, seriously harmed somebody. There's a stigma around that. He was abused as a child. He was gay. He had hepatitis, mm-hmm. and he saw himself as alcoholic.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so you can imagine each of these and kind if. Of, stories about himself these parts of his identity was something that he could feel shame around that he could be judged by someone else and need to hide feel like he needs to hide and so when he came to therapy he really felt like pretty hemmed in by all of these aspects of his history Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and wasn't very engaged as a result Mm -hmm. um it took a while in therapy for him to open up to be able to just talk even start to disclose all of these elements Mm -hmm. of his history and to start to develop more of that and awareness of how harsh his mind was with him Mm -hmm. Um, but over time you know we were able to develop more of that awareness and eventually uh, he was able to become more of his own ally i mean earlier i talked about this metaphor of it's like if you're wanting to uh, do something that's a challenge for you, if you're wanting to learn something new or grow in some way, you're, you're bound to fail at times. You're bound to make mistakes. And you're, you're bound to fall down at times. And you know, early in therapy, it was like when he fell down, when he made mistakes, his mind would come along and just kick him and, and beat him up and be mean to him. But over time, we are able to help him to be able to get some distance from that, to notice that not be so caught up in that, and to be able to be gentler with himself, to be more like a friend who was more encouraging. Mm-hmm. And what what that allowed him to do was to, over time, see these self-critical thoughts as more like voices in his head,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or a story that he was telling himself,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and something that he didn't li- need to listen to so much anymore. Mm-hmm. And this allowed him to be much more active, engaged, he was able to get really involved with volunteering. And to make new friends and get reconnected with the community, which is you know exactly what you want for someone who's coming out of prison.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Jason, it sounds incredibly important what you're doing because it, it sounds like that um, the first. You know, just problems people have, like if it's anxiety or um, depression, whatever it is. And then, I mean, that's one type of problem, but this shame seems to close it up, so like putting a lid on on the whole thing, which makes it almost double as hard. I mean, how could you get to the problem if you uh, if you've got this shame lid on top?
2: Yeah, you know, exactly. I think that's a really nice way of looking at it. You can't. It's hard to get to get help. Mm-hmm. It's hard to even think clearly about it when starting to think about the problem means that you're going to start to feel really, really horrible and just globally like you're a terrible person. And so usually what people learn to do is just not think about it. And so it really makes it hard to do to problem solve, really makes it hard to, to get help. I mean, we figure out a lot of how to live in life by talking to others about what's troubling us. Mm-hmm. And if we can't talk about it, then that really it really gets in the way.
1: Important work that you're doing, Jason. So, Jason, we've come to the end of the program now, and I I'd like to ask you to give our listeners some advice. What what could they do if they're feeling shame themselves or family members or friends who are feeling shameful?
2: Sure. Um well first off is first off is maybe not be ashamed that you are self-critical.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it, it, it's not your fault that this happened. I mean, people come by this honestly as a result of their history and as a result of, you know, the relationships they've had. People often hear their own self-criticisms might sound like things that other people have said to them. So first is not to get, you know, if you, to the extent that you can, just to be aware of it and not add more shame to the shame, you know, by being aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of being a a more specific strategy i think my favorite thing is something that i tend to do with myself Mm
3: -hmm.
2: oftentimes we most need some kindness and compassion when we're when we're having a hard time it's when we're having a hard time that that critical mind tends to get going and start beating us up and so when i when i notice that i'm having a hard time one of the things that I tend to do, and it, I know it sounds a little weird, but one of the things that I tend to do is I'll start to talk to myself as a, a, in the third person.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So not out loud, but uh, in my own mind, I might say something like, what would be good for Jason right now?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, or what does Jason need right now? And if I if I just take those few moments when I'm really getting down on myself, and I actually phrase it in that way I use my own name Mm -hmm. and say it to myself it's like I take a step back Mm -hmm. and it allows me oftentimes to access a bit more kindness Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and just a little bit more compassionate view than my autopilot which Mm -hmm. is this tends to be this more self-critical thing so if you're self-critical you might just try that out a few Mm -hmm. times and just see if you get anything out of that
1: Mm-hmm. I've also seen a, a, a Tara Brack do something like that, that she puts her hand on her heart and says, that's okay, sweetheart. Huh. Yeah,
2: that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's another example of kind of talking to yourself in that sort of from that third person perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Jason, thank you so much for being on our program today.
2: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: You've been listening to Dr. Jason Leomup. Jason is a clinical psychologist and the co founder and director of the Portland Psychotherapy, a research and training clinic in Portland, Oregon. Jason provides training and ACT for audiences around the world and has been recently elected president of the Association for Contextual Behavior Science, the organization that is mostly tied to ACT. In addition to being a practicing clinician and an act trainer, Jason conducts research on shame, stigma, and self-compassion. You can read more about Jason and his work on his website, which you can find by clicking on his name on this week's episode of webtalkradio.net. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain values in action and epilepsy a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children all of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to amazon.com we hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of act taking hurt to hope